Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is, what is it, Saturday, January, oh, January 6th, yeah. I was going to say that all excitedly, and then it dawned on me it's January 6th. Well, I've been thinking about it all day, but that's what we're mainly going to talk about. But first, I'm sitting here looking out the window in northwest Reno, and the snow is coming down. We got ourselves a blizzard. I mean, we're probably by the end of this looking at closer to a foot than half a foot, which for Reno is great. And, you know, growing up in Truckee, I always loved the snow. But the older I am, it's kind of nice to be near Truckee, but I can still run down here, kind of avoid the feet of snow that you have to clear, all the shoveling, snow blowing. There's less tourists here and there's more space, so you're not all packed when there's a blizzard and there's less accidents and all of that. So, anyways... Today's one of the days where it's actually chaotic down here too, but I'm sitting here looking out. It's great to see snow. I got my 13-mile run, the half marathon done earlier today, and it was a, I called it low visibility, high quality vibes because it, I got really wet. It was cold, but there's something peaceful about running in the snow because no one else is doing it, so you're alone, and there's just the silence that comes with blizzards that really helps me think, and on a day... January 6th, three years ago already, it was a perfect day to just reflect and think about how much has changed over the last three years. And good God, a lot has changed. So we're going to get into that in a moment. But the one thing I was thinking about on the run was that maybe I shouldn't have studied public policy and economics and stuff, and maybe I should have just done psychology or psychiatry or something, because modern politics is about vibes now. It's about emotion and tribalism and red meat, or at least some of the uh, American politics. And so you kind of need to understand people now to really work in politics. And yeah, maybe I messed up. (laughs) That's a whole other story, though. But anyways, before we get into the January 6th thoughts three years down the road here, I do want to say that, so I talked about Claudine Gay resigning at Harvard. We don't need to rehash that. But I was... um, I was listening to Tim, or not, not Tim, uh, Tom Nichols on The Bulwark, and he wrote one of the really good Atlantic articles that I cited when I was doing the episode earlier last week. And he actually brought up a point that I didn't really think about, about why the Elise Stefanics and the Christopher Rufos and these type of people, why they were hoping that elite establishments like Harvard would keep defending Claudine Gay and others and keep allowing them to say anti-Semitic things is because, as we know, the Republican Party has been quite hypocritical with Donald Trump, right? He pretty much is immune to any criticism or bad behavior, and they just allow it. They permit it. The permission structure is in place. And so people like Elise Stefanik want power, but they also want to be able to do the both sides type of thing. Like, well, you guys do it too, so don't criticize us for being hypocritical with Donald Trump. And so in this case, Tom Nichols basically talks about how he thinks that's why some of these Elise Stefanik types are so focused on on liberal establishments and being hypocritical is because then they can both sides it and say, see, you guys can't criticize us about Trump because you do the same thing. And of course, Nichols talks about how because she stepped down, Claudine Gay, it actually shows that organizations actually have accountability, which the Republican Party doesn't. And I think it, excuse me, I think it's a really good point because these people like Elise Stefanik and Lindsey Graham, just to name a few, they want the other side to seem crazy because then it can justify their retconning of things like January 6th and it can justify their 
ass-kissing to Donald Trump, it can justify their willingness to go along with his worst actions because they say, well, the people voted for this and the Democrats are worse. And it's a really dangerous societal view to have. And it's, it's a race to the bottom if our society keeps going down that road, which unfortunately it looks like it is. And now, of course, you have now the usual suspects like the Ibram X. Kemdi type of people saying that this is all about racism. And I think, a, I think two things can be true at once here. I, bet, I think the Christopher Rufo types went after her specifically probably because of that. She was covered more than the, the president of Stanford, who also have, was, was let go because of basically forging data in papers. But obviously gay was national attention, and you sometimes have to wonder why. But it, it, it can also be true that the Rufo types and the Stefanik types had bad intentions, go, intentions going after her. But they did find that she plagiarized. And at the end of the day, this is the head of Stanford, or not Stanford, of Harvard. And if you're going to be the head of a very, very elite institution, you're the face of it. And even if it was bad intentions, they did find some pretty bad stuff on her. And that's the way it is. I, I, think, I think you really don't have much else to say on that. So anyways, I want to talk about January 6th. When I think about January 6th, 2021, I think of it starting out as a great day and ending with just me being furious and going off on Twitter, going off on Facebook, which I barely ever do. And I think of the morning, I think of the Nordic ski my dad and I were on. We went out in the Ur Valley, no cell service down there, you know, talking, enjoying everything. Beautiful day. This is still height of COVID pre-vaccine, you know, so everyone's kind of distancing or at least luckily living in Truckee at the time. That was when I still lived in Truckee. You could easily just do that and go out in nature and enjoy. So we're, we're skiing, no cell service. And earlier before we went out on the ski, we'd been watching the vote to certify the 2020 election, right? And not much was happening. Ted Cruz was being an asshole. Josh Hawley was one of the people voting against it. It was, it was that stuff, right? And we're out skiing, and about halfway through, my dad runs into a nurse that had worked with him or for him over the years. And after they talked for a moment, he asked if we saw what was happening at the Capitol. He's like, can you guys believe what's happening at the Capitol right now? And I, I answered by saying, well, isn't there just the vote to certify Biden? And... <laughs> This guy told us that a riot was happening and people were breaking into the Capitol and we, we headed back from the ski to watch. And for the, rest of the, for the rest of the day, we were basically glued to the TV. I had my Spanish friends, you know, call, calling me, texting me going, what the, what the WTF, basically. And I'm, you know, texting with buddies, getting in political debates. I put out a just angry Facebook post. Um, this, is, this was my official kind of break from being a center-right person where I decided I'm an independent, maybe even center left after that. And this was the moment that I just was like, holy crap. So at the time I was doing the podcast with Drew, the old podcast, uh, Tonic Accord. And I'm like, man, we got to do a podcast on this tomorrow. So we're prepping for that. And so anyways, lots of carnage. And then, you know, you had Lindsey Graham and Kevin McCarthy by the end of it saying enough is enough. This is Trump's fault. It's horrible. And it's interesting to think about the days after January 6th, right? Like most politicians on both sides condemned what happened and called for Trump or called out Trump for stirring up the riot. And as I sit here writing, thinking three years later, staring out the window, watching the snowfall, my life has sure changed. We're all like a river, right? The same water never falls, flows through the river again. So everything changes. 
there was some Greek, <laughs> ancient Greek philosopher who said it, whose name is escaping my mind. Maybe it was Herod. Nah, it doesn't matter. But and it looks like everything though has also changed regarding how the country views J six, as I'm going to call it for the rest of this, because you know I, I got to save my breath. We don't want me to use too much breath here, but. I'm not sure if I should be teary-eyed or disturbed or reflective or both. So I just went on a run and in the silence of the blizzard was just thinking about this. And I'm like, three years on, the fundamental events of the day, even eyewitness testimony, thousands of hours of footage, indictments, guilty people, and also one of the most extensive investigations in federal history, really. And we don't agree on the facts. And we, we agree on the facts less today than we did three years ago. At least three, three years ago, Lindsey Graham and Kevin McCarthy were saying Trump was highly involved in this. And idiots like me at the time were saying maybe this is an off-ramp. Maybe this is the time when the Republican Party finally moves on. And let's be honest, Mitch McConnell is not one of the really crazy ones, but a lot of this is his fault. Him and other Senate Republicans voted to acquit Trump during the second impeachment. He said, we're going to let the courts solve this. We can't do this. He'll be out of office. He'll be gone. Boy, history is going to remember what Mitch McConnell said. And, and look, like the crazy thing here is we all know that the Mitch McConnell types and kind of the old neoconservative types hate Trump. Even the Lindsey Grahams hate Trump behind closed doors. This was literally their off-ramp to vote to impeach or to, to convict him in the Senate, right, after it passed in the House. But it seems like a lot of these people just, there's a lot of self-hatred. It's like they don't want to succeed. Like, this was their chance, and they failed. And, yeah, the courts are looking into some of Trump's actions. It's taking forever. I don't think the J6 insurrection case it has much ground. I, I've always said the Mar-a-Lago one, I think, is the one with the classified documents that could be very serious. But it's taking a while. This was a, this was a time when they could have got rid of him, and they said, well, he'll go away. It's much like Susan Collins in the first impeachment when she said, well, I think he's learned his lesson. Guys, he hasn't learned his lesson. And the lies and vitriol over the last three years show that he hasn't just not learned his lesson, but he's also gotten more dangerous and dark. And he is telling us out loud what he wants to do to his political enemies. And it keeps me up at night. It keeps me up at night. So as you can tell already, this is not going to be a light episode. But looking back at this wild world we live in, I really shouldn't be surprised. And I really should have seen this coming. I thought maybe Trump was going to go away and DeSantis was going to blow up. And I don't like DeSantis either. But in a sense, I think he wouldn't be quite as retribution, revenge-based and autocratic as Trump. But anyways, Trump and his political allies, they've just been able to slowly retcon everything about his political legacy and character. So, of course, they were able to retcon this. He was once a guy, you know, that bragged about grabbing women by the, the, the you-know-what. And now some evangelicals call him an imperfect vessel that God sent to save America, save Christians. He's going to bring the Old Testament back to life or whatever. And, you know, there's, um, what was it, Utah Republican voters were polled, and they think Trump has more faith. He's more of a man of faith than Mitt Romney. Give me an effing break. I'm trying to cuss less. So, And it's just insane. He, that he's this vessel fighting for the people is insane, but it's, it's, he's, he's a, it's a cult, okay? <laughs> and so, of course, because of all this retconning we've already seen, of course Trump and his allies work to downplay the riot's significance and have recast hundreds of supporters. 
convicted of participating in the attack as political prisoners. It is really interesting to see how it went from Antifa, right? It was an inside job by Antifa to not being a violent protest. And these were just peaceful patriots that support Trump. Like, I don't get how you can have these contradictory ideas and keep arguing them. Like, there are still people, including Trump, who say it was Antifa, but then also said these pe- people were peaceful patriots protesting. How, how are both of those things true? You can't say it was violence by Antifa and then also know it was actually peaceful Trump supporters. I'm sorry. You just, that, that's, a word, that's a mental word salad. And also, the scary thing to me is that he's vowed to pardon many of them if he returns to the White House. DeSantis has talked about pardoning, pardoning some of them as well. And Vivek calls it an inside job, right? What does that say about our country? I mean, I don't want to get too into the weeds on historical parallels, but in the 1920s, you had the Beer Hall Push, where that was when Adolf Hitler and others attempted a coup, failed, went to prison. At least he went to prison for it, but that's, of course, where he wrote Mein Kampf and got radicalized. And they came back and obviously more powerful. I mean, I, I always feel like these events, you need to bring the hammer down or it shows people that it's okay to do it. And also, can I just say for a moment that the inside job idea, completely insane. There are a lot of conspiracies out there that, you know, maybe have grains or nuts of truth. But this one just doesn't even make any sense. Like, why would the FBI want to help fuel a violent riot to obstruct a democratic election that would make the Justice Department more on edge and make things worse for them. I think Occam's razor tells me that the FBI would have no interest in doing this. And instead, it's just the people that got red-pilled online or the Trump supporters that got lied to. They went to the Capitol. They've even, I mean, even during the J6 hearings, you know, Liz Cheney and all of them, there were even oath keepers and people arrested for breaking into the Capitol who testified and said they were just Trump supporters who felt felt like they had to go there to fight for him and they got lied to. That's it's not that complicated. Watch um, Alexandra Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi's daughter, watch her documentary on HBO called The Insurrectionist Next Door. Very interesting look into some of these people. And by all accounts, some of them decent family, you know, America-loving people that just got wrapped up in this. Not a lot of like Antifa people doing it. Anyways, getting back to the, I think the severity of the moment, I think the most telling stat from the Washington Post, and in coordination with the University of Maryland, it says that a majority of Americans, 55%, think January 6th was an attack on democracy that should never be forgotten. So that's good that a majority... But 55% is not a strong majority, guys. That, that is not promise. It should be like 75 or 80%. I feel much better. But then also going off of that, the same poll shows that a majority of Republicans have said in quotes, it is time to move on from January 6th, and only 18% of, of Republicans believe the attack was violent. Man, that, that division to me is kind of worrying. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time, obviously, over the last few years since I started this podcast when I was in Chicago, I spent a lot of time talking about January 6th, reflecting on it. And I get disappointed every time I talk to really nice people. Like, I'll never forget, I was in a Whole Foods bar in, in Chicago, in, in downtown, and I met a nice couple. I, I got out of class and, I don't know, just <laughs> felt like chilling up there. 
and watching the game for a little bit. And I talked to a really nice couple. We're having a great conversation. And then we get in. And then, of course, a couple beers. We get into talking about that. Turns out these people are giving me gateway pundit articles, telling me that I'm the idiot because I don't know what's really happening. They're like, you don't really know. And I get disappointed when I meet really good people who all of a sudden are telling me that, you know, Trump's still president. January 6th was an inside job. These, these people are patriots that are in prison. They, they think the Viking or helmet guy or whatever, you know, the QAnon shaman, they think he should be running for president. It's just disappointing because there's a lot of great people that have just really fallen for this. And I also I also talked to some really great people that are not the ones who say this was a false flag or any of that jazz. But they still say, like, it was bad, but the Democrats are going too far. They're really bringing down the state's power against these people, and it's not good. And they also say these people were, yeah, maybe they wanted to try to overthrow the government, but they were all idiots and it didn't go anywhere. And I, I will go out and say that I think like Chuck Schumer, for example, Senate Majority Leader, basically him saying this is the worst attack on the U.S. since Pearl Harbor, or was it 9-11? It was one of the two, but either way, that's, that's a little too far. It, it wasn't that, let's be honest. But then also the other people saying like this wasn't really that big of a deal. That, I think it misses the point, would be, would be my final analysis of this. It's, it's the idea of what it represents and the fact that, I, I mean, I think there will be another one. I, I do. It, it represents the idea for one of the first times in recent memory that a president couldn't ad- accept defeat based on falsehoods and conspiracies. And he had enough sway over Americans that they literally felt like they needed to go and fight for him. And this meant violence and carnage I mean, if you listen to police officers like Fanon, who was tased and, and, and ended up in the hospital, Capitol Police officer, he talks about how this felt like medieval warfare. His life has been ruined by this. And it's less the idea of it succeeding or not. Yeah, the QAnon shaman, I don't think he's going to lead a revolution. But the fact that it even happened, I think just is a worrying sign of what could come. And that's just what I get so irritated. So... If Trump isn't held accountable and his political allies who also downplayed it, if they're not held accountable, it's just bad for democracy and bad for our institutions, full stop. And I, I can entertain also the idea that it's all just the little people that are in prison. They were lied to, and maybe they should have used more critical thinking, but they were lied to. And none of the really top people have had any accountability. And I could understand the idea of saying, you know, maybe we give some of these lower end people, the people that were just kind of in there by accident, or just walked in and maybe didn't destroy anything or hurt anyone, maybe these people deserve a lighter sentence. But it is annoying when the higher ups, the people that lied to their base, nothing's happening. And again, I alluded to this, but when Basically, history tells us that when a coup attempt or a political riot or an attempted insurrection goes unpunished or the perpetrators are not held accountable, it'll happen again. And just over last week, we have seen Trump already fanning the flames again. He just released Truth Social posts falsely claiming that Democrats are planning to bring in illegal immigrants to help steal the election and get more votes. He's already putting out the idea early that if he loses, of course it was stolen and... 
And the crazy thing is things are accelerating because in 2020, he only started doing this into the summer before the election. But we're, I mean, we're what, six days into 2024 and he's already planting the seeds of this. I I mean, look, I'm, I mean, I've already been Debbie Downer, so we'll just keep the uh, anger flowing. But it seems inevitable to me that another January 6th is looming in 2025. And basically, this is Trump's new mechanism for political control and mobilization. And I, I mean, I have to say, there's a lot of fucking idiots out there. Like, he said in 2016, if he wins, he wins. If he loses, it was rigged. Like, it's always been his playbook. And I'm just surprised there's so many people that never saw through that. But what keeps me up at night is that back in 2020, you know, there were still good Republicans, whatever you want to call that, but they stood up to him, but many of them have either bent the knee or been forced out. So I think you could, I think we could see this metastasize because again, if you don't hold an insurrection or a coup or whatever you want to call it accountable, it doesn't get more tame if it happens again. It usually gets more wild because it shows that the institution was not able to at least hold the perpetrators accountable in the first place, so they're emboldened. And so we literally have foreign policy and public policy and political experts. We even have Canadian government officials warning, sounding the alarm about the state of American democracy. And I think history books will deeply reflect on how our elected leaders failed to explain to the American people how symbolic January 6th was as a turning point. And again, like I said, it was not Pearl Harbor... Chuck Schumer, shut up. It was not that bad. But it also was not just a tourist visit because it shows that there's people that are willing enough to fight for a cult leader. And that's a troubling symbolic turning point for our institutions. And The Hill has an article, I think, that compiles some different polls on how Americans feel about 2024 and and feel about January 6th in 2024, I mean. And it's quite troubling. So USA Today... Suffolk University released Thursday. They found that half of Trump supporters had no confidence in the 2024 election results. They don't think it would be accurately counted. This was aligned, of course, with Trump's rigged stuff. But so basically, a lot of Trump's base, again, will think it's stolen if Trump doesn't win. So what do you think that means when January 6th insurrectionists are called patriots now? By contrast, the same poll says 81% of Biden supporters are confident in the election. You cannot have a country where one party thinks elections are always hunky-dory and the other one thinks they're always rigged. Then there's a Monday Washington Post poll that found a quarter of Americans believe the conspiracy theory, you know, the, the really fun one about how the FBI organized it. I just don't understand how that's good for the FBI to organize a coup and to put in a guy who would then just purge the Justice Department. Like, I just, that, that conspiracy makes no sense to me. But then also to say it was Antifa violent Antifa, but then also it was peaceful protesters that were Trump supporters. Like, at least get your story straight. Also, what was it? Um, Other polls have found Americans to be more open to the use of violence to achieve political ends. (sighs) The Brookings Institution, probably one of my favorite pieces, um, it found in October 23% of Americans found that it was okay to resort to violence in order to save the country. That was a jump from under 15% a year earlier. So that stuff's fun. And I guess just to wrap this up, it seems like the doom loop continues. And it's because, I mean, it's like, like I said at the beginning, I think Republicans almost like self-hate themselves because they've had so many off-ramps before it was too late, but now it kind of is too late. And I genuinely believe that I think they want to move on from them still. 
but it's just too late. And Trump is still the leader of the party and the base is behind him. We've seen that just with the primaries, right? And I was listening to an interview last night and they were talking about how would Chris Christie, I think it was on, I don't know, it was on YouTube. <laughs> I forget. But anyways, they were talking about, the person was asking like, would Chris Christie help moderate the party if he let it? And of course he would. If Chris Christie was the like Republican nominee, he would not, he would moderate the party. But, but that's a catch 22, right? The problem with that idea is that the party would have already have to be moderate moderate enough to vote for chris christie like <laughs> it's not a moderate party most moderate republicans are now like centrists or like center left biden supporters it's actually a really really fascinating like political realignment it's actually like really fascinating to me but yeah the party would never vote for someone like chris christie because he is too moderate and also biden is clearly in a tough place because he has focused his campaign on democracy and the threat trump poses that worked in 2020. Trump was the president. COVID, chaos. People just could see it. But it seems like the collective memory of a lot of voters is limited. Sarah Longwell does a lot of really interesting focus groups on this. And, and her argument, and also, also Tommy Vitor uh, with the Pod Save America, you know, former speechwriter for Obama, he, he talks a lot about how they don't really think a percentage of independents, especially, actually have realized that it's the same two running against each other again in 2024. Maybe. I think that might be a bit too naive. I don't think that many Americans don't know that Trump's the leader. But I, th I do think that once we get into, let's say, post-South Carolina, I think we're going to see a lot of people realize that Trump is back. And if you look at the polling after the Colorado Supreme Court decision, it was like 83% of, of Americans thought that the decision was correct. And that was even like half of Republicans. And I wonder if those poll results could kind of mirror a general election where Trump does well with that base again. But a lot of people are just like, I'm fucking done with this. That's what I'm, I'm going to be. I'm going to end that with the cheeriness. But anyways... The bane of my existence over the last year has been trying to explain to people why Biden must win this election. It's a losing battle with most people I talk to, but it is insane to me that some people laugh off his campaign and they laugh off how he focuses on J6 and democracy. I guess you really can't have effective public policy if you don't have a functioning system. And so, yeah, democracy is kind of a big deal and bipartisan collaboration is kind of a big deal. So anyways, on that note, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, YouTube. You guys know the rest. And uh, by the way, go pack go tomorrow. My heart will probably be broken. They always are in these win into the playoffs final week of the season. So if I'm depressed in the next episode, it's because the Bears upset us and the Bears can never win. Adios. Adios.